the other end, I'm probably more down here, is those of us who just run for the bus. There's no commitment, it's done very kind of begrudgingly, no preparation, you're not wearing the right kit, you just do it because you've got to, and you just kind of try and look like you're trying to make the effort. But as Christians, we're called to run as if we're running for the prize. And yet so often, actually, we can live life as if actually we're just kind of running for the bus, or even we're just taking a stroll in the park. And so we're going to look together this afternoon or this evening at a passage in the Bible that uses this imagery, this metaphor of a race we're running for the Christian life. And we're going to see how it tells us to run to win the prize. We're going to talk about a couple of things that can stop us from doing that, why actually so often we can easily become bus runners rather than prize runners. And then we're going to see what does the Bible say? What's the solution to this? How actually do we up our pace as we're going to start running to win the prize? So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by a guy called Paul, who was an apostle. So an apostle was a guy uh, commissioned by Jesus to get the church established. And uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 8 through to 10, Paul is talking about the very thorny issue of idol meat. In the ancient world where they lived, most meat was not slaughtered in a slaughterhouse like it is for us, but was slaughtered in a temple in front of a statue of an idol. And so for the Christians who only worshipped the one living God who's revealed in the Bible, that was a big problem. Were they allowed to eat meat? Were they allowed to eat this meat offered in the temple? And Paul said some stuff about that, and now what we're going to read, he's starting to tell them, you need to flee from idolatry. He says, as Christians, actually not to worship any other God in any other way, you ought to flee from it. And it's at that point that he brings in this imagery of the race we're to run to win the prize. So let's uh, read it. Let's pick it up. This is verse 24 in chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul starts by saying the purpose of running a race is to get to the end first, to be the winner. He's saying there's no place, actually, for the take, it's the taking part that counts. He's saying it's not the taking part, it's the winning that counts. And these Corinthians he's talking to, they knew all about races and winning. In the city of Corinth, every other year they held the Isthmian Games, which were the second kind of most significant athletic contest in the ancient world, second only to the Olympics. They'd seen people run these races. They'd seen the determination, the effort, the energy, the passion, the concentration that went into running a race to get to the end, to win the prize. They knew that there was only one prize at the end. And if you want to get it, you've got to put in the effort. And Paul says, actually, you know what? Christian life's like that. Christian life should be like that race. You're running, you're looking at the finishing line, you're looking, waiting to get the prize. Of course, it's a slightly imperfect analogy, because actually there's not only one winner in the race of the Christian life. But Paul's point is, your attitude should be like the runner who's running for the prize. Not like the person who's running for the bus, who's kind of doing it begrudgingly, doing it for a little way, but actually in long endurance race, saying that I'm going for that prize. And he talks about the kind of effort this takes, that actually you have to train to do it. And then he says, they put in all this effort, all this self-control, he says, and it's just for, an imper- for a perishable wreath. The prize these guys at the Isthmian Games, you know, the Olympics would have won, was a kind of little crown made of some plant stuff, which after, what, a week, two weeks, would wither, go brown, and die. All this effort they put in to get that prize, and after two weeks, it's gone. And I looked up out of interest, I thought, well, I wonder what you get for winning the marathon, the Hastings Marathon. I don't know if anyone knows, I looked it up, you get 400 pounds. 
Not a lot, I don't think. All the hours of training, the weeks and weeks, all the effort, 400 pounds. It's not going to last long. And Paul says all this effort goes into winning these perishable things, these things which are ultimately so insignificant. But he says, but actually in our race, it's not a perishable thing you're running for. It's an imperishable, something which won't decay, which won't end, which won't be taken away. He's talking about the fact that there are eternal rewards to be run in this race we are running. And this is sometimes a really kind of complex topic to us. We know that all Christians are saved by grace, that salvation is given to us, not by anything we do. And then the Bible also talks about rewards, and we get quite confused. But actually, it's a really important thing to look at. The Bible is really clear. It's a really real thing, but we've got to understand it rightly. We've got to know the difference between a gift, a wage, and a reward. You see, all Christians are saved by God's gift. You know the word grace? That's just a word for gift. It's a type of gift God gives us. All of us, as we've been singing tonight, these wonderful songs, we have been forgiven, totally wiped clean for all the things we've done wrong by God's gift. Not because of anything we've done, not because we were at all worthy, but because we were given a gift, even though we were unworthy. All of us have been forgiven, have been adopted, have been brought into God's family because of a gift God has given us. All of us as Christians are promised eternity with Jesus in a new creation because of the gift Jesus is giving us. And you know, because this gift was given to each one of us, when none of us were worthy, none of us were deserving of it, that means nothing can change that. What you do cannot suddenly mean you don't get the gift because you were never deserving it of it in the first place. And you know, there's no variation. Every Christian gets all of these blessings. Every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians, has been poured out on those of us who are in Christ. But a reward is totally different from a gift. A reward you get for doing something. A gift is giving out the generosity of someone's heart. A wage is given because you've done a certain number of hours, you've done a certain task, there's a correlation between the two. A reward is given because you've given something, but actually it doesn't really correlate to what you've done. The guys who crossed the finishing line first down on the seafront today and got 400 quid, that wasn't a gift. It wasn't just coming out of the generosity of someone's heart who thought, oh, I'd like to give you this money. And it wasn't a wage, it was hiding a pay them for the hours and hours of training and all the effort they're putting in, the hours of running the marathon itself. A reward is totally different. And the Bible shows us that though we have this gift from God, we also can get rewards. And everything Jesus is giving us, this reward, this gift, is like a foundation. It's the foundation of a building. It's solid, it's secure, it can't be broken, it can't be shaken, it can't be moved. And the lives we live are building on top of that foundation. And it's what we build on top of that foundation, on top of that gift that Jesus has given us, which is tested and for which we can be rewarded. And Paul himself talks about this in this same letter, 1 Corinthians. In chapter 3, he's talking about uh, his own work for the kingdom, the things he's been doing, the way he's been preaching the gospel. And he says he's convinced that his work is going to survive. And he says this about when God tests and God rewards. He says, each one's work will become manifest for the day, it's the day of judgment, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. He's saying the foundation is secure. The foundation is not affected by this fire. But actually what we've built on our lives, in our lives on top, is tested by fire. He says if it remains, if it's deemed good, there's reward, eternal reward. He says, actually, if it's burnt up, if all that's left is the foundation, he says, you'll suffer loss, actually. He's really clear, you'll still be saved, though he himself will be saved, he says. But actually, everything on top 
can be burnt away, can be nothing if we haven't run this race living God's way. And we see further evidence of this, that how we live actually really does matter. It really does make a difference in the New Testament theme of pleasing God. And again, this is something we tend as Christians often not to understand or kind of to overlook. But actually, it's a consistent theme throughout the New Testament that we should be seeking to live lives that please God. The implication being that you can displease God by how you live. Let's look at a few verses just to show how pervasive this is across the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians, he says to the Ephesians, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He's saying in the way you live, try and work out, find out what is it that God wants me to do? What's going to please God? And then do it. A totally different author, the author who writes to the Hebrews, actually finishes his whole letter with this prayer where he says, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. He's asking, would God work so much in you that you would live his way, that you would do what actually pleases God? And then John, yet another different author, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. He's saying, actually, we know that if we live God's way, if we keep his commandments, if we do things that are pleasing to God, he hears our prayers, he answers our prayers. All of these verses and many others would be totally meaningless if God is always, already 100% pleased with us. Remember, the foundations never change. God's love never changes. But actually, we can displease him with the way we live. And this is kind of like parenting, isn't it? Sometimes you hear parents say, you always love your children, but sometimes, actually, you don't always like them. I heard my mother say this recently to my auntie while I was in the room. She said, my little cousin was being a bit naughty, and she said, the thing with your children sometimes is you always love them but you don't always like them. Thanks, I thought. But actually, it can be like that with relationship with God. Our perfect, wonderful, heavenly Father, he never stops loving us. He never stops doing us good. He never withdraws from us. But actually, we can displease him with the way we live. And there's a real risk, actually, with the wonderful truth of adoption that we take part of it, the good bit, the bit we like, as it were, and we actually ignore another half. We need to see the New Testament has this whole message. We need to hear both halves that our daddy in heaven loves us with an unstoppable love that will never, ever change. But sometimes I can actually displease him by what I do. And so it's this idea of reward, this idea of pleasing God, the fact that what we do, how we live, really does matter, which Paul is kind of tapping into when he comes in 1 Corinthians 9 and gives us this picture of running the race. And we don't actually know what this reward is. There's a few hints in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4 hints maybe it's something about a commendation from God. Luke 19 has a parable where it seems maybe there's some sort of um, authority that's given to uh, as a reward in the new creation. But Paul says, he's almost thinking, it doesn't matter what it is. We know it's good. We know it's eternal. We know at the finishing line is this eternal reward which is worth running for. So all of us as Christians are meant to be running the race in order to win the prize. Not running for the bus, not having a stroll in the park, running with a sense of determination, passion, and effort to get there. But so often we forget this, or we overlook this, or we get lazy, and actually we don't realize we're running the race. And there's lots of reasons for this. Different things can come into our lives and kind of uh, cause us to do that. But I just want to look really briefly tonight at two. Two which I think maybe are most important for us to think about because they're really common in the culture around us, and so they can so easily come in and affect us ourselves. The first one is that it's easy for us to have the wrong king in our lives. For many people out in the world, outside of the church, as it were, comfort is king. 
their heart's desire is to have a comfortable life. And it's that heart's desire which rules over all their life. It motivates their decisions, their life choices, their lifestyles, how they use their money, who they spend their time with. Everything is shaped purely by the desire to be comfortable. And this is kind of really attractive. You can totally see why people live their lives that way. Who doesn't want to be comfortable? But actually, it's not the kingdom way. We know that Jesus is king, not comfort. We serve Jesus, not our own comfort. And we need to orientate our heart so actually Jesus is the one we're serving. Jesus is the one who shapes our decisions, where we go, what we do, how we spend our money, rather than a desire for comfort. Because comfort is actually not the kingdom way. Jesus said, if we want to follow him, what do we do? We deny ourselves, which includes denying ourselves comfort sometimes. We take up our cross and we follow him. The imagery is of putting the cr- a beam of a cross across your back and walking to the place of crucifixion. I doubt that's a very comfortable thing. But Jesus says, you know what, that's what it means to follow me, to take up your cross. Sometimes it's going to be a painful walk, but it's a walk we're called to take with him. And so bus running or a stroll in the park is often much more comfortable. But actually, we're not called to be ruled by comfort. We're called to be ruled by Jesus, to follow him, to follow his way. That's one thing then. Maybe that resonates with you. You think, actually, maybe I've let comfort become king. My, my life is orientated more around what's going to make me happy and comfortable and what I think is going to satisfy me rather than what Jesus is calling me to do. A second thing that can cause us to be bus runners rather than prize runners is having no sense of purpose in life or no sense of calling. Maybe you feel, well, each day feels like hard like the day before and like I'm going nowhere. Maybe you feel there's nothing significant for you to do with your life. You think all the important things in the church and in the world and in the kingdom of God, that's for other people to do. Look, they're doing that and this, that and the other, but that's not for me. Sometimes this comes from disappointment. You thought that actually at this stage in your life you'd be doing this or you'd be in this place or you'd have this relationship. Maybe for you it's comparison. Maybe you look at friends or family and you think, well, they can do that. I could never do that. I think they're like that. I can just never be like that. And all these things kind of squash us down, and rather than encouraging us to run the race, they cause us just to think, well, what's the point? We become bus runners. We become people just taking a stroll in the park. But the wonderful truth is, as Christians, we all have a calling. God called you for a purpose. God called you because he has plans for your life. God calls you because he has good works for you to do. And Jesus, when he was on earth, gave us a very clear mandate for what our purpose, what our calling is. He said our calling is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're a Christian here today, that's what your life is about. Your life is about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that will all look totally different for each of us. It's a bit like we're all going for this uh, finishing line, we're all going for the prize that's there, but actually the routes God wants us each to take might be completely different. But there is purpose in your life. There is a calling upon your life of thing, different things for you to do. Different for all but totally and utterly true for all. So if there are two things that can stop us running for the prize, having comfort as our king, having no sense of calling and purpose, what's the solution? What can we do about it tonight? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I think I've been taking a bit of a stroll in the park. I need to start running for the prize. Well, Paul tells us about this too. Because after he's outlined what the race is, that the prize is there, what type of prize it is, he then says how that affects the way he lives. And actually we find the way it affects how he lives, gives us the answer to these two things. So first off, he says, so, i.e., in light of this, I do not run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beat in the air. In this race, Paul isn't running around thinking, I don't really know where I'm going. I'm going here, then everywhere. Or to switch uh, metaphor, he says, if I'm boxing, I'm not just hitting into the air. I'm hitting right onto the target. You see, understanding the race helps Paul to run purposefully. He knows that in a race, every little step, however small it might seem, however insignificant it might seem, it's doing a big thing because it's getting you nearer to the end. It's getting you nearer to the finishing line, nearer to the prize. And that's the same for all of us. We're all called to seek first the kingdom. We're all called to play our part in his kingdom, in his mission. You know, the things you do, the purposes God has for your life, might seem really small. You might think, that's such a tiny thing. That conversation I had with the person in the coffee shop was such a tiny thing. Or putting out a chair for the Sunday meeting was such a tiny thing. But each one can be a step in a bigger thing. That conversation could be the thing that makes that person think, I'm going to go to a church on Sunday. And they could go to church, they could hear the gospel, they become a Christian, their eternal destiny is totally changed. The seat you put out for a Sunday church meeting could be the seat that someone who doesn't know Jesus sits in, where they hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel, their eternal destiny is changed. You see how we all have a purpose, and you might think, well, my purpose or my calling is so small and insignificant, but it's not, because it's all feeding into God's great plan to extend his kingdom. The Bible talks about the church as being like a body. Your human body has over something like 6,000, 7,000 different parts. Each one does a different thing. Each one's really important. You need each one to play its role. And your foot can't say to your head, well, I don't need you, because the foot needs the head to direct it. The hand can't say to the heart, well, I don't need your heart, because the hand needs the blood that's pumped around by the heart. And Paul, in his letter, he says, in the same way, actually, we as the church are a body. We're all completely different, aren't we? We've all got different roles, different skills, different gifts. But actually, if you don't do your thing and you don't do your thing, actually, we miss out. We miss out as a family. Our town misses out, actually, in what we're doing as a church. We all have a purpose. God's called us all to do things, to run this race with purpose, fulfilling the calling he's giving us. So my first little kind of question challenge to you, are you living your life purposefully? Does a sense of purpose, a sense of calling, because you're a child of God, shape the way you live? And the second thing Paul says gives us the second solution, the solution to comfort as king. He continues, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. He's talking here about putting in real physical effort. The Christian life is not meant to be easy. That's why Paul uses the analogy of a race you're running to win the prize rather than a stroll in the park. When he says, I discipline my body, the word he uses literally means I punch someone under the eye. Paul's basically saying, I'm so determined to do this, I'm putting so much effort, I'm prepared to give myself a black eye. He's caught hold of a vision of the rewards that are there, of the calling upon his life. And he's running, he's uh, controlling himself so much, he's prepared to give himself a black eye. Earlier in the passage, verse 25, when he says uh, about an athlete exercising self-control, the word athlete he uses there is the word from which we get words like agony and agonize. There's a thing here about effort. The same word is used elsewhere and is translated as fight. When Paul says fight the good fight, it's the same word he uses for athlete in this passage. He's saying there should be real energy, real uh, uh, energy and effort put into this. This is not comfort as king. This is Jesus as king. Paul followed Jesus as king, and that helped him actually not to get lured into building his life around comfort. Not looking for an easy option, but looking to win the prize. And then he says, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. Literally, he actually says, I make it a slave. He's saying, I master my body. 
He's particularly saying he masters the sinful passions that still live in his physical flesh, as they will do for all of us until we have new resurrected bodies with Jesus. And we kind of think, okay, we've got to master sinful passions. We think that's obviously things like anger and jealousy and sexual desire and envy, which it is. But actually, it's just as much, just as deadly for things like laziness, apathy, actually the desire for comfort. But actually, Paul says, no, no, all these things, I'm going to control them. I'm going to make them a slave because I'm determined to keep on course, keep running this race, going for the prize. So my second challenge to you tonight on the back of this is, do you feel you're putting in the effort with your walk with God? Actually, is there real effort? Is there real determination that I'm running for God? I'm going to fulfill his purposes for my life. I'm going to develop my relationship with him. And Paul finishes with a little challenge, a warning. He says he does all of this lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He finishes with a warning. If there's a prize that can be won, there's also a prize or a reward which can be missed out on. Remember, this isn't losing salvation. That foundation can never ever change. Your your, um, being forgiven, being adopted, spending eternity with Jesus can never ever change. But he says, actually, Paul says, I know I can miss out on eternal rewards. And he says, I don't want to. And so I'm running the race. Let's after I tell other people to do this stuff, I miss out. He says, no, no, I'm going to run to win this prize. So you might be thinking, okay, Andrew, you convinced me. I've got to run. I've got to run to get the prize. I'm not going to run for the bus. I'm not going to take a stroll in the park. But what does this actually look like? Day-to-day life, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what does this actually look like? Well, in a sense, it's going to look different from us all. As I said, we all have the same ultimate purpose, same ultimate calling, but actually how that plays out in our life will look different for all of us. But I think maybe there are three kind of headings, three uh, areas of our lives we can use to do a bit of a checkup on ourselves. I'd encourage you as I say these and tonight and over this week, use these headings to check. You think, am I running for the bus or am I running for the prize? The first one would be our personal relationship with God. Are you giving your personal relationship with God real effort? Are you giving it time? Are you giving it attention? We all know, don't we, from human relationships that a relationship doesn't just happen. They take time. They take effort in a sense. You have to be proactive about them. Does that characterize your relationship with God as well? Are you proactive about your relationship with God? Are you making time to pray, to read the Bible, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? All these things we can so easily talk about so much. And it actually can be quite hard to do. But actually, God's calling us to do it, to develop our relationship with him and to run this race as we do. And that's the first one. How is your relationship with God? Second one would be your church involvement. And this isn't about ticking some boxes and saying, yes, I attended that meeting, and yes, I attended that meeting. Actually, it's about playing your part, being part of the family God's put you in, the family he's put you in to be on his mission together, to be seeking his kingdom together, growing together, running together. And within church involvement, we could think of a few things, actually, which help us think, am I running for the prize? Such a, such a key one is our prayer life. We're called as a church to corporately pray together, to see things happen amongst our number, to see things happen in our town and the areas around us through prayer. Is that something you're committed to? Are you committed to praying with us corporately to see things happen? When there's a week of prayer, you don't need to get to everything, but do you think, you know, I'm going to commit to coming to something. I'm going to make it to a prayer meeting this week, to join with my family, to pray and see things change. What about midweek life? Actually, you committed somewhere 
Is there somewhere within Kings that you can call home, somewhere you can share community, you can read the Bible together, you can pray together, you can grow together? You know, this race isn't a solo race. We're not running on our own. Many of the people running the marathon today would have been running in pairs or in groups. They help each other along. They encourage each other in the hard times. They speak encouragement. We're to do the same. We're not meant to run the race alone. Have you got other people you're running the race with? Are you investing time in building community within Kings, if Kings is your home, in order to run the race together? And then finally within church, how about how are you stewarding what you've got? Your money, your time, your gifts, the talents God has using you. Are you stewarding all these things, actually, for God's purposes? As I said, you might think these things are really small. You might think that greeting someone on the door is a really small thing. But actually, your friendly greeting could be the thing that gives someone the confidence to come in and to stay, again, to hear the gospel. Their life could be transformed. It was all because you had a smiley face in the door that they felt comfortable to come in. What is it that you're good at? And are you using that? to build God's kingdom, to seek God's kingdom as you run the race. So we've got relationship with God, we've got church involvement, and then we've got life involvement. In your life, is Jesus king? And is Jesus' kingdom your purpose? Firstly, think about yourself. Are your decisions shaped by Jesus more than they are by comfort? If Jesus said, I want you to go and move to Africa, say, go to a little village to preach the gospel there, might be very uncomfortable, or your mod cons wouldn't be there, your friends wouldn't be there, you might have money. If Jesus said, actually, I want you to take a different job, because I want you to serve the, these people through this job, which meant a huge pay cut, would your first thought be, oh, I can't buy that anymore, I can't have my Netflix subscription, I can't buy the latest Xbox games? Or actually, would your thought be, Jesus is my king, and I have the privilege of running this race, of following him? Really, really challenging. And then, what about how you're interrelating with others? Are you demonstrating something in God's kingdom? If you're running this race to win the prize, your life should look different to those around you who don't know Jesus. Is that the case, actually? Is your life and the way you interact with others, are you running the race, proclaiming the gospel, demonstrating just in the way you live what Jesus is like and what he does in people's lives? All of these things can help us, I think, tonight and over the week to think, actually, am I running this race? And, you know, I just felt, I was a bit worshipping, and I felt to say that running this race is a real joy. This isn't meant to be a heavy thing. This isn't meant to be a, you should be not enjoying life if you're following Jesus. This is actually following Jesus, running this race, is such an exciting adventure. And I was standing there thinking about my life, and some of the days in my life have been horrible. But actually, I'd so much rather follow Jesus, be running this race, be on this adventure, than just be sitting around, I don't know, lots of money, big house, whatever. Actually, this is an exciting way. Because you know what? You're made to live in relationship with God. So you're going to find true fulfillment when you do that. Dan, do you want to come back up? I'll make you some room. So if you're a Christian here tonight, you are a runner. No doubt about that. The question is, what kind of runner are you? Are you just running for the bus? Are you just taking a jog in the park? Or are you running with your eyes set on the prize, running to take hold of it? Maybe you've forgotten you're in the race. Maybe you weren't aware of the prize. Maybe actually tonight you've realized, I think comfort's become my king. Maybe you've been ignoring or being ignorant of your purpose, and your calling. Well, tonight is an opportunity for you to reorientate your heart, to turn back and start running the race again. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not even on the racetrack yet. You're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. Friend, let me tell you tonight, Jesus wants to give you a gift and move you onto his racetrack to run his race. You know, this race, we all actually start disqualified. 
we all start already disqualified, we all start having mucked up our kit, totally unworthy of being on this racetrack, unable to get on this racetrack ourselves, because we've run our own way, we've run our own races, running away from God. But the amazing gift of God is that he takes away our mucky running kit, gives us a perfect, clean, pure running kit from him, places us on that track. So we know we're heading for eternity with him, and we get to run the race to win the prize. Friend, if that's you tonight, if you don't know Jesus, don't miss the opportunity to find out more. Please come find myself or one of the guys at the front at the end. We'd so, so love to chat with you. And if you'd like, we can pray with you. We're going to respond now. Do you want to maybe just stand with me if you'd like to, if you're willing and able? We've got a good few minutes to do this. We're going to respond first just by singing a song together. This is a chance to reorientate our hearts, a chance to do business with God ourselves, to commit ourselves to the race again. And to let God speak to us. I've said lots of stuff. And just ask God now to start highlighting to you the individual things from what I've said that he most wants to speak to you. Which area in your life do you need to start running in? We're going to be really open. We're going to sing a song. We're going to see what happens. If you feel God stirring you prophetically, something he wants to say to us as a people tonight, please do come grab us at the front um, and we'll see where we go. I'll pray and then we'll worship. Jesus, we thank you for the utter privilege of running this race. Thank you that you, though we were disqualified, you have made us qualified. You've put us on the track. You've given us the right kit. And now we get to run, to run for the prize. Father, I ask, would you come now? Would you help us to do that? I ask, would you come and help us to reorientate our hearts to you? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us. Come and highlight to us areas in our lives where we've not been running. Come and highlight to us where comfort has become our king. Come and highlight to us that we believe the lie that we have no purpose or calling. And come speak the truth into our hearts, we pray. Jesus, say we want to run the race in order to win the prize and follow after you. And we say, would you come now and come and help us to do that. We set our gaze in you. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.